Welcome to Wear With Sepet. Each week, I chat to amazing graduates from a range of backgrounds to help young professionals like yourselves take the guesswork out of making those all-important decisions at the beginning of your careers. To keep up to date with our episodes, you can follow us on Instagram and LinkedIn. And to find my episode reflections and find more resources, you can also check out our website at wherewithsep.com. I hope you enjoy the episode. <laughs> Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm Sapere, and we're lucky to be joined today by Anne, who really, unfortunately for her, is actually one of my good friends. Um, but to the professional world, she's a product manager at Good Human, which is a software startup that connects people that need care, such as those with disabilities and services that provide care, such as the NDIS um, in Australia. Anne completed her bachelor's of science with majors in nutrition and neuroscience. Um, just over a year ago, where she was part of the Melbourne Microfinance Initiative, was the Environment's Office Bearer, part of Effective Altruism Australia, uh, the University of Melbourne Vegan Club, and also founded the Alternative Protein Initiative. I needed to make sure I got that right, to be honest, because that was a pretty big mouthful. I hope I don't have to do that again. Um, during her time at university, she also served as a ward assist at the Royal Melbourne Hospital and interned at Society Melbourne, uh, which is a social enterprise aimed to tackle youth homelessness. In her final summer, she completed a product and ops internship with Good Human and was soon invited back uh, as a full-time product manager, which she's been just for over a year. Her hobbies outside of work include writing and reading, which is really unfortunate for me because I don't think I've ever actually won an argument against Anne, but that's more of a me problem that I'll deal with in my own time. Um, but she also loves animals and is a passionate advocate for the effective altruism movement, which I'd love to talk about uh, more later. Uh, we're really lucky to have you, Anne, so welcome. Thank you, Sphere. That was such a professional introduction. Um, yeah. Definitely, I've never seen you hoping. this professional ever in my life. Right, come on. Which I don't know. Uh, that's dipping and dipping. Yeah, I, I definitely have <laughs> dipping. Uh, anyway, um, so yeah, the way we're going to do this is we're going to run this in three sections. So we're going to first talk about basically the, your time at university and like you applying for the roles or at least considering applying for roles. Mm -hmm. And the second part I'm going to talk about is you, know, you actually doing your role in pretty much the present time. And the third part, I'd like to dedicate some time to actually talking about maybe some reflections on your journey so far and then um, what you think about the future of your career and um, how what you're doing right now is setting, um, setting yourself up for that. Mm -hmm. So uh, the first question is a bit of a peculiar one, but I always like to ask it. And that is simply, uh, what did you want to become as a kid? Now, uh, to be honest with you, if someone who's a kid knows about software startups or product management, I think they should probably be locked up because that's dangerous knowledge for a kid. But um, you know, I'm sure there's something, um, there's some sort of a link between you know, kind of what you liked as a kid and then what you like now. And I'm, I'm really curious to understand how did you really get to, or how do you see yourself getting to um, where you were today um, from where you were, I don't know, maybe 10, 15 years ago? That's, it's really interesting because I feel like I've talked about this before, about how like what you want to do as a child sometimes is very reflective in like one way or another, whether it's in like the value that it represents or the task that you do day to day in what you want to do in the future. But mine, I don't know if you find a link because when I was a kid, so was watching a lot of um a lot of the news and a lot of the news was covering American politics and I wanted to be the president of the United States. Which I don't think okay. would be possible given the fact that I'm not American. Given the fact that um I live in Australia and that I hate any form of leadership. 
Okay. Okay. Yeah. So what are your that, 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 that's quite, that's pretty interesting to be honest. I, first of all, I, I don't know. When you said you listened to the news as a kid, I mean, I hate listening to the news. I, I'm over a kid and I still hate listening to the news. So that, that's interesting. But um, no, same. Actually, I've, I find that interesting. Actually, another guest said exactly the same thing. So um, yeah, I think, I think, I don't know. You know I, I never wanted to become, I've kind of always hated the idea that I, I needed to like please a large amount of people. I think you probably yeah. guessed that. So that, that's probably something which is eliminated immediately. But I think that's super interesting. Um, and I think, yeah, the, the leadership point's also interesting because, you know, obviously in your role, you do some form of leadership and I don't know. I, I think yeah, you're pretty good at it. I know. So, the only thing that like, that mildly like resembles, um, that position of being the president of the US is probably like the sociopath part of me. Yeah. I think that's pretty fair. That's a pretty fair assessment, to be honest. Um, yeah. Anyway, let's, let, let's move on from um, the president dream. So I think, you know, just judging by your experience, you sound a bit eclectic, right? You've been kind of all over the place. Um, and not going to lie, like a lot of people who are in your position probably have had less diverse experience. Um, so I'm really curious to ask, why did you pick your degree? And did you always have it in mind that you wanted to go down, you know, this form of path where it'd be working in a, like a impactful, impact like startup or working in a startup at all, or perhaps, um, going down the route of product management. Um, yeah, I'm really keen to hear about your motivations there. Mm. Yes. I don't know how much of this will be a repeat of what you've probably already heard from me, but I went into uni wanting to do medicine. And science was the best pathway for that because you got to explore subjects other than med. You can do psychology, physiology. Um, and I became really interested, really interested in neuroscience and nutrition at the same time. And back then, I don't really think I knew what the purpose of anything was. Like, I didn't know what the purpose of life was. I didn't know why I was in uni. I knew that... Um, I guess it was like trained in me and probably like in many younger people that you needed to get good grades and then you have a good future. Somehow like the linkage wasn't really clear to me that I guess you finish your degree and then you find a job. Um, I knew that I wanted to do something in medicine and like neuroscience and nutrition just seemed convenient and easy enough. So went on and did that, but I don't know if you feel the same way, but I feel like the education system doesn't really set us up for actual like life tasks. Like, yeah, um, yeah, like figuring out what the purpose of your life is, enjoying the small moments. I've never been taught how to do that. What the true, um, what values I should foster within myself and my community, what I do with my future. How do I live a fulfilling life that isn't dependent on the expectations of others? And um, I didn't really know back then, but my desire to do medicine was very much influenced by my parents, like classic Asian parents. They wanted me to do either law or medicine, anything that was noble and um, high paying and would almost like, yeah, like give me that aura of prestige and intellect when I walk into a room. And I didn't realize this back then, but yeah, like just was chasing this medicine dream for ages and um, was kind of disconnected Throughout the whole of my degree, I like finished all my subjects, did well, but didn't really care for it that much. Um, but you know, when you like choose your major, it seems like you're going to be stuck there forever. And in my head, I'm like, okay, I already spent three years in this 
goddamn degree, I have mm. to either do neuroscience or nutrition. So that means yeah. I apply for a research degree, postgrad, or I become a dietitian. And those are my two career paths. Yeah. And that was a bit, that was a bit scary. And I think at one point when lockdown happened, I just had a lot of time to think about the things I'm doing. And I just thought about how this medicine dream wasn't really my dream. And I was Ooh. questioning the validity of that, whether, oh, but do I just keep doing it so that my parents are happy? Because I love them so much. Why can't I just do this one thing for them? But also, am I really living my life if I'm not, if I'm doing something that someone else wants and that I truly like don't want in a real way? Or maybe I do like doing medicine, but right now it just doesn't feel like it's my choice. So I had a bit yeah. of a crisis there, but at the same, um, during the same period of time, I joined MMI, so Melbourne Microfinance Initiative, where I met you. And mm -hmm. it was really cool because that was my first time, I guess, interacting with people from other degrees and almost venturing into this like vague area of business that I never understood. In my head back then, um, all there is to like the jobs out there were um, two circles, medicine, anything like health related, neuroscience, research, dietetics, and this other big bubble called business that I just didn't care about. I didn't really know what it involved. I just, because I'm, I was so far away from it, I just didn't care for it. And I didn't want to, I wasn't even curious about understanding what that entailed. And mm. MMI was really cool because I was drawn to it because of the social impact side and how people were just very considerate of, I guess, the impact of the actions that they're doing. And that shows in the ways that we selected projects, the ways we considered like um, methodology and um, yeah. And the way we just treated each other as well. It's, it was really nice, but that was, I guess, my first exposure to the big business bubble that I really didn't understand. And, yeah, yeah. And I was like, wait, I can actually do this without doing like finance for my degree. I can oh. actually solve problems. So it's like the same skill set. It um and it's not even like it wasn't the skills of like problem solving or research that I was using the most. It was more empathy, which was really cool because yeah. um I never got to exercise that in a real way before. And I don't know if like a pro bono um, consulting project in uni with my friends was something that real, but it felt really, it felt more real than anything I've ever done. And mm. that really opened up um, like another career path for me. I was like, oh, I can't, I don't have to be narrowed um, down that two parts of medicine or neuroscience or research. I can go elsewhere. I feel like anyone could take me if I just showed them that I can also do this task or do also fulfill um, this role mm. and so that was a really interesting because I'm like oh I can apply for new things now but then I got into that different um, like bubble of my only pathways are consulting or investment banking because those yeah. were the <laughs> I was really yeah. I was very much like, surrounded by um, a very like high achieving crowd who were really interested in those roles and there was an aspect of self-comparison there where I was like, oh, I love these people. I look up to them. I care about them. And I feel so much like alike to them that 
it felt like I should be doing that. And then I started applying for these consulting roles that, um, without really considering why I'm doing it. So you see how like I got into the same trap that I did with my parents, where I'm doing things not because I want to, but because I feel like I should. Yeah. So applied for a few consulting roles, got a few offers, and at this, um, but very luckily, Connie, who's my friend, who's working with me in Good Human now as a product manager as well, posted um, a job posting for an internship at Good Human. And I read their blurb, read about the kind of impact they um, they want to create and read about their mission and values. And I just really loved it. I just loved that aspect of like empathy in the workplace or empathy in in a in a career path, even though it's an internship. I just felt like, oh, it would be so nice to feel fulfilled this way every single day yeah yep. and so i yeah applied for that internship and have never left because i love the people there the message the mm -hmm. values that they follow um is still there every single day and you can really you can really feel people's hearts when you're working day to day which is i think my favorite part of the job and so to conclude i feel like that was a big ramble um yeah. took a while for me to realize that yeah like I should do what I want to do instead of what other people want me to do and I think a combination of luck and a bit of forced introspection during lockdown and mm. amazing friends and Connie has led me to yeah like it's very like very lucky opportunity to work with a company that cares and um people who care for a very like beautiful mission yeah definitely big up connie um but <laughs> i think i think you said two really interesting things that makes me reflect i think the first one you said was that um you really think about your own convictions and your values when you are making these career decisions which honestly i think is I, even just being friends with you, I think has made me do that more. And I think a lot of people don't do that because like you said, when you're surrounded by people who are doing pretty much two career paths or three career paths, not to mention, um, you, you care so much about what other people think because of a variety of reasons. I think it, it really just forces you to just go down the path that other people have taken rather than to question, um, like, why am I doing the career that I'm doing? I, I think, I think that is something which you mentioned, which is just is really really interesting i think people myself included need to do that a lot more and i think the second thing you mentioned was that um you know that you don't have to be a finance major to become you know product manager or any number of other roles in, in all fairness and i think you actually proved that point because you said shortly after that you know you think about things like empathy as a as a project consultant or a product manager and i think that's again really really interesting because you know you're taught to think in a certain kind of way especially in you know a commerce degree and i'm not saying that's a mm -hmm. wrong kind of way making money is great right but mm -hmm. um there are important things which you can clearly hear when it comes across from you that you know don't come across um, perhaps for, with people from a different background so I, I definitely 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 um find that a really interesting point and um perhaps that's also a message to step kids out there right that actually what you have is probably more of a strength than a weakness um, because you're able to think in ways that others may maybe haven't been trained to do. Um, yeah, one and thing I think on top oh, of yeah, that, yeah. Um, sorry, yeah, on top of that, like the skills you learn in uni um, are not the skills that 
are not the only skills that you have. It's not like the yeah. things that you're taught that you're that are like the only skill sets that you're equipped with. It's like the people that you meet, the books that you read, the music mm. that you listen to. They would just influence you in so many strange ways, and um, and just also like understanding yourself as a person as well. You'll learn that you have so much more than what you think you have, and yeah. that and like meeting amazing people has taught me that like oh I actually have other values that um that I work I want to foster that I didn't know that I had or I didn't know that was taught to me in these very strange subtle ways yeah I, I definitely yeah definitely agree in fact one thing I want to ask since you've probably answered like every single other question I was going to ask um is I want to ask like how do you think your unique I mean you've kind of explained how your unique experience have shaped it but more so if you were to give advice to a uni kid right now because especially as you know as a commerce kid or even even a generalist kind of degree student you you look at what's out there at uni and a lot of people just look at like clubs and stuff which are which are great right like like you said we met each other through that but i think like what would be your advice to how these people can go about finding themselves a little bit more especially in a professional sense is it just mm. uni clubs or you know you mentioned reading you mentioned um you know having friends who are really really instrumental in that discovery process how would you recommend others go about that yeah interesting i i think the co the concept of knowing yourself in a prof professional way is interesting because i guess how different is it to to your like know yourself personal self? yeah because um, work will eventually become part of your life. There is like work-life balance is so important, but it's also a thing that you're actively engaging in for like 40 hours a week, if not more. And yeah. it almost should be treated as something that is part of your life and not something separate. So it's, I think knowing yourself professionally, professionally is super similar to just knowing yourself personally. Um, mm -hmm. And Knowing yourself doesn't really come as intuitively as hunger or happiness or these like intrinsic desires that we have. I don't think we'll ever, I don't think I've ever had a calling to product management or medicine or you've ever had a calling to consulting. Um, and I think the biggest advice is to park all concerns for money and power and perception on the side because self-comparison and financial panic and anxiety is very likely to kill all the dialogue um, of like passions and your other truer parts of yourself inside your head and will just make you worry about all these things and they'll influence you um, when you compare yourself to other people you'd want to do what you said like what other people do what people other people have already done and realizing that um, yeah I guess making space for you to learn about yourself bar all of those anxieties about how might this look to other people will my parents be disappointed um hmm. will will be just really interesting even if you can't do it even if um like yeah situations don't really allow and your parents won't be happy at least you'll know and maybe one hmm. day you can you can follow through with that and i think it's also important to recognize that society has taught us and like society and the people around us and our educational system teaches us to value a busy life with success and goodness and value associated with um yeah like being in the spotlight being in the center stage doing big mm. grand things having like um yeah like big research 
innovations and yep. these crazy grand things that almost make you feel small. And, mm. and because of that, this fear around aloneness and solitude and introspection or this mm. fear around anything that's not success, that's not like what everyone else perceives as success. And that doesn't leave a lot of space for what you want or for you to learn about what you want and for you to learn about how you want to live your life. And so those yeah. two things combined, my advice would, to, would just to be realize all these factors that are impacting you. Um, mm. Try and leave them aside for a second so you can like, fully understand yourself or, um, yeah, try and make an effort to understand yourself in, in those realer ways. And I guess mm -hmm. try and chase that as much as you can because it's your life in the end. You don't want to live it for anyone else. Very inspirational. That is uh, that is far better of a response. I would have. I don't think anyone would have ever given. So that was that was really good. That's making me think more than I wanted to today. Um, I think let's um, let's talk about your job. Um, so let's let's move on to the next section. Um, now, I think I remember from a conversation you told me once. You said that I mean, generally speaking, product managers tend to have a little bit of experience before stepping into the role. You know, they're obviously managing a product. They're managing. Um, or they're at least working with um, engineers with sometimes more experience than them or whatever it is. So what was it like stepping into a new job? First of all, in your internship, I'd imagine you'd be eased into it from your internship. But then also as a, you know, as a um, full-time product manager, what was, what was that like um, for you, especially coming from perhaps a non-business background, as you mentioned? Yeah, it was, not going to lie, it's been really, really hard. Um, it's been a stressful year working full-time. And especially with the pace of a startup as well, I, um, yeah, I find myself being a bit scared sometimes having imposter syndrome a lot. Um, but yeah, like to wind it back, I started as a customer ex experience intern. So I was just replying to customer inquiries a lot, understanding their problems, talking to them, making sure they're being onboarded with, with success. And then I moved to product, which meant that I was solving the problems that of the people that I was talking to. Yeah. And this was back when we had, I think, three people in the product team, one full-time person oh. and two interns, me, myself included. Mm -hmm. And that was pretty scary because I was also like, I was half treated as a full-time person because I was working every single day. And I didn't really understand what the role was. I knew that problems needed to be solved. And... Mm -hmm. I knew that customers were struggling with the problem. And um, it was a lot of freestyling for a while, for like a solid three months. I was just asking Kunal, who was the full-time product manager at the time, how do you do this? Mm -hmm. How do you do that? And was like researching random things on the internet, but not really, didn't really have a holistic understanding of what my role was. Yeah. And to be very honest, I don't think I knew what product management was until month three of my full-time job. So <laughs> kudos to Good Human for trusting me with this role. I don't know. Um, I don't know why they decided to believe me. It was very kind of them too. But yeah. um, they just trusted me. And and after after some time, after doing a lot of learning and almost yeah, like just being pushed into the deep end, mm. I just kind of figured out the rhythm, understood what everything was. And I can't really ignore the help from like my colleagues as well. 
They, mm. the people that I work with, my team, the designers, the engineers, they are so kind and they're so understanding and they're always helping me. Mm-hmm. And that makes it a lot easier. I, I don't think I would have survived last year without the help of like my amazing colleagues. And another thing was just very effective hiring of managers that understood my needs and understood the areas that I need to improve on and just taught me how to do things better. And I, and so it was a year of a lot of, a lot of, um, a lot of learning, a lot of adapting, a lot of receiving feedback and then, um, enacting them and was being very, very supported by the team, which made it all a lot easier. Yeah. Yeah. I think, yeah, it's, it's, it's really speaks to the importance of like the people you work with. And I think that's been a consistent theme. It's not just where you work. It's not just the role that you have, but feeling supported by the people. I think at least from what you're saying is super, super important. And I think you've been supported really well. One thing I, I don't really want to backtrack to when we're talking about, um, why you applied for the role, but you mentioned that you moved from the CX team to the, um, to the product team. Um, when you were making that decision, you know, obviously you hadn't really been in a product manager role before. Um, did you know the the difficulty that you'd be taking on in this or kind of the extra load that you'd be, I'm sorry, I'm not going to describe it extra load. It's probably mm-hmm. more stuff to learn though. Um, mm-hmm. did you, did you know that when you were stepping into the role? Like did that, I mean, you mentioned it scared you when you got into the role, but did that scare you even when you were considering taking on the full-time position? Ooh, um, good question. I when I moved from CX to product, I didn't know that the workload was going to be different. I don't think it was different at all. It was, yeah, mm. you're right. Like definitely a lot more to learn, but it was almost just a change in how I approached the problems. So in CX, I learned about the problems, which is basically the first part of product management when you're understanding customer problems. And I was doing that a lot more in depth in, in CX. Yeah. And when I moved to product, it was just a matter of solving the, that problem inside the platform. And in both roles, I had to know like very intricately how the platform worked and what the solution would look like. But the only difference was in product, I got to, I guess, um, have a say in how the problem should be solved. Yeah. Yeah. And what was the other half of your question? Sorry, I feel like I missed out the second part. No, I think you answered it pretty well. My question was basically, um, yeah, did did you know about the hurdle that would be required to kind of take on that new role and I think you answered it pretty well I think yeah oh I think um, I missed out the full-time part so that was when yeah, I was prepared. Yeah. um and back then we didn't have a team either so we had a team of engineers and a team of product managers mm. but we were we didn't have like a product manager with a team of engineers it was just all, all of us bundled together very startup vibes and yeah. when I got to my full-time role I think throughout the past year um, my team has been, I got like separated to a team very slowly and then my team started building up. So that was really good in a way because that was slow graduate introduction to what it was like to, to have a team. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I have to ask, um, as a STEM student, you know, uh, like I said, it sounds like you learned most of this stuff from the ground up. And you've also mentioned that your ability to think in roles like this does not depend on what you study, right? Because what you study is not everything, you know, um, not to mention, you don't learn how to become a product manager in a business degree anyway. Um, but one thing I'm curious about is you probably were surrounded by, or even when you were applying, not even when you're doing the role, 
um, probably surrounded by a lot of economics students, commerce students, you know, people who have done a lot more internships than you. You mentioned imposter syndrome, but you also mentioned, you know, kind of learning these skills yourself. How, how did you feel throughout all of that? And how did you kind of handle, you know, maybe even the pressure of um, competing against these people? Mm. So another shout out to Connie, because she did French and international relations in yeah. you, and she's doing the same thing as me. And that was really reassuring to me that we were both, I saw that she was doing a good job. Um, I was doing similar work to her and I'm like, okay, maybe I'm not doing too bad after all. So that was re really reassuring. Um, I think the imposter syndrome kicked in once other experienced product managers started coming into the company. And yeah. these were like product managers with like five years of experience. And I would start comparing myself to them. And um, I think one thing that helped was just reminding myself that, oh, I'm not in the same position as them. We're mm. very different in the life stage that we're at. They've learned so much more than me. And if anything, it's amazing that, that they're here so that I can learn from them. Yeah. And um, I think one cool thing about Good Human, this sounds like a like a promo for Good Human and Connie Gamble at the same time. But a cool thing about Good Human is that um, I've never felt like my background was, my background in like a non-business major or degree mm. was ever discussed at all. I don't think mm. anyone cared. Um, and I remember being in the interview, my first interview for my internship, not even talking about, about any of my past experience at all. I just yeah. talked about philosophy with um, the COO and it was really mm. funny. Yeah. And I think that, yeah, I think I should be like a lot more grateful for that than I, than I am now because mm. that's never been brought up as an issue. I've never felt like I don't have enough business knowledge nor, um, and even if I feel like I'm lacking in a skill, no one's ever made me feel bad for it. It's always mm. a learning opportunity. I always am supported when I feel those things and I'm like I have a, a very good space to like communicate those things as well yeah definitely um I think like the, the point you mentioned actually about the startup and especially your interviewing experience is really cool because I think that more even more so in a startup perhaps you know they don't really care about you know what you've or what your grades are I mean obviously hopefully you haven't like failed most of your subjects but um, I think it's it's really relevant the way in which you think and how you perform on the job rather than, you know, what background you have. And I think um, people think to doing certain degrees and, and leading them down certain pathways. But I think thinking about what you're passionate about and also, like you said, right, you were talking about philosophy half the time in your interview. And I think I can't read them, but I'd imagine that that speaks a lot to the way you think, what you're interested in, and perhaps what you might think about on the job as well. So. Mm. Um, yeah, yeah, I think it also speaks to um, what the company values, which I, that's why I, I mm. was so impressioned by that interview, just because they were open to that. They, it felt like they were looking for um, a heart instead of a certain kind of resume. Yeah, that's a very, very, very well put. But, um, <laughs> yeah, cool. Okay, I have another question about startups. So uh, this is slightly different. Um, do, being part of a startup, I know Good Human is doing exceedingly well, and I know that they're, I think they're internationally expanding as well. 
um, you have the freedom of working, you know, for example, remotely um, sometimes. I mean, you know, you have a cat now. Uh, and I know that, you know, that <laughs> they also have office. Home. Yeah, exactly. Um, I mean, yeah, def def definitely not. Um, and then you also have the option, for example, maybe in the future to go overseas. Is that something that you really value and how, how important do you think that is um, that you're able to, for example, stay at home or maybe even do the opposite? Maybe you might want to expand overseas and explore the world. Yeah, I think, again, I haven't been as grateful for this as I should be because um, you're right. I, I do have so much flexibility. Sometimes I don't, have, I don't even have to work nine to five. If I have a medical appointment in the morning, I can just work a bit later. Or if I have something in the afternoon, I can just work a bit earlier. And I, there's been like months where I've just worked from home the whole time. And mm. that's been that's been so good because it just feels empowering in a way. I just have agency to do what I want. And it almost seems like I'm not being policed in, in these ways because it's not affecting my output at all. Um, mm -hmm. There's a certain kind of trust that I'll get my job done. And mm -hmm. it doesn't matter how I do it or where I do it or what hours I do it in. They, yeah. um, and I think that speaks to the culture of the company more than anything. Um, Mm -hmm. that yeah like it they don't feel the need to police people in these these very rigid ways in order to make sure that we're at the correct level of productivity they just trust that we care and we care enough to do our jobs yeah yeah okay cool that that's that's yeah really interesting and to the overseas point would you ever want to work overseas or at oh, least and take still job overseas? yeah yeah or, or even or even otherwise um is that something that interests you yeah, it's definitely, I feel like everyone, I can't imagine anyone who wouldn't want to like do a stint overseas. I feel like that would be so fun. I think traveling yeah. to Europe, to Ireland and the UK last year was really cool because I'm like, oh, there's a world outside. There's a world outside of where I live. There um, are people who are just doing very different things and bring it back to EA. Like there was a massive EA community in London that I got to chat to. And EA is a lot bigger over there than it is here. And mm. there were so many other jobs that I didn't know existed. It was like me with my two circles that expanded to a bigger two circles, but now expanded to like the globe. And yeah, um, and, and so, yeah I, I've, I'd be so curious and I'd love to one day, but... Um, mm. I don't know. It's it's moving is scary and change is scary, but it's oh, yeah. definitely something on the bucket list. Yeah, that's awesome. That was a really interesting answer, actually. Um, yeah, you'd be surprised. Actually, a lot of people have a little bit more of a closed mindset about kind of doing that stuff. But um, yeah, really? definitely that's um, quite inspirational. But you actually mentioned EA, so let's move on to the last section, and I want to ask you a pretty. I already know this is going to be a really long answer, which I absolutely welcome, by the way. Um, so you obviously creating an impact and thinking about your personal values and then pairing that with your career choices is you know, fundamental to what it sounds like most of your career decisions. My question is to, you know, you, you, you sound like you believe you create a really positive impact through your work and I would absolutely agree. How do you pair that with, for example, making an impact, uh, outside of your work? Like, you, you know, you do EA, you do, you know, things to support, for example, veganism. Like, I'm really interested, do you consider those worlds separate um, or 
because a lot of people do view those worlds as separate, right? They say, I have a day job in maybe even something which is just like irrelevant to impact, at least in their eyes. But then they say, oh, I do volunteering on the weekends. And that's different for me. For you, are those worlds separate? I mean, how do you think that people should view that? Well, at least that you, you view that. Yeah, I don't think I can speak to how people should view that. But for me, it goes back to what I said about professional life and my personal life being yeah. very intertwined. I, um, in the past year, I've kind of worked really hard to be as myself as possible in the workplace. Mm. I noticed that I was almost carrying a facade to work because of, mm. yeah, like partly because of imposter syndrome, partly because of, I was comparing myself too much to other people that I wanted to show up to work looking as professional as possible yeah, and um, being as social as I can, engaging in a lot of small talk, learning what people like and trying to like steer the conversation that way so that they would be happy. And I noticed mm. that I was unhappy in, um, in those moments and like in those months. And after a lot of solitude, introspection, traveling, I just was like, oh, screw it. I would just be myself at work. I spend so much time at work anyways. I can't just feel bad when I'm at work. I want to be able to be myself because that's so much of my life that will be gone if I decide to be someone else when I am around these people. And I noticed myself um, being a lot less tired when I was just actively being more myself and actually, I guess, catering less to other people because I was no longer considering what they were thinking about me. I was just focusing on being myself. And, um, and, and I think values like EA and veganism and wanting to be mindful of my impact I consider those very like core to me. I I try and work towards them as much as I can, N not like mm -hmm. in a perfect way, of course, but because I try to be myself at work, that just means that those things that just come up at work. I just talk to people about the things I care about at work. Um, mm. I talk about these like random theories, random, um, yeah, like random essays that I bump into. I mm -hmm. There are like channels in Slack that I send random resources to and it's nice because it doesn't seem separate i those things are like listen to it work if there might be people who don't want to listen to it but there are people who mm. care who want to hear it and i get to talk about them at work and another approach to that question sorry my mic's gonna drop another approach to that, that question was um yeah like there is a part sorry um so i do think that good human is making a positive impact but um i won't go into like the details of effective altruism but i guess there's always there are always more impactful careers that you can take or more mm. yeah like more pressing causes um to work on like i don't know like animal wild animal suffering or doing medical research that can develop like a vaccine for children who are who have malaria and there are many things that are potentially more impactful than the things that I'm doing now but an interesting learning from last year was that even though I want effective altruism and um like impact creating to be so core to my life I need to consider my like well-being as well like 
would I mm. be happy if I ignored, I like left this role that I'm very happy in to work in research in a different country because it's more impactful. And yeah, it was a big battle of like balancing those things out, trying to listen to my brain, which is telling me, oh, like the more impact, the better. And also, yeah. um, what do I actually want to do? And another branch of effective altruism is donating money. And mm. that's what people advise you to do no matter which career path you follow. And mm. I try and donate 5-10% to 10 of my income every single year, which is really difficult because um, eating out with oh, friends yeah. is so fun and <laughs> buying the things I Traveling. want is really fun. And I think, yeah, like getting my first paycheck and being like, wait, I have. I know I promised to donate money. I know that I have the will or like I've been like promising that I'll donate this much of my income to charity um, mm. ages ago. But when it's in front of you, you don't want to lose it. It's like, oh, I worked hard for this money. Why would I give it away? Yeah. Um, but yeah, I've been trying very hard to stay close to that goal. And that's another way that I try and just increase the impact that I have. Mm. Or not even increase the impact that I have, almost like negate the negative impacts that I'm like leaving behind in the world. Yeah, yeah. I think I think that's a really, really good answer. And, and actually one thing you mentioned was, you know, you talk about being your true self at work, you know, uh, being able to share what you're thinking, what you believe. And a lot of people, I think, especially in traditional corporate environments, they think about, well, there's a downside to that because, you know, you don't want to, overshare or you don't want to, you know, you should try to keep those worlds apart. But the, I think one really good point which you raise is that like, what's the cost of that though? And I think being forced to put on an alternate persona when you go to work and stuff like that, I think, uh, as you mentioned, can really, really drain you. And um, yeah, I, th I think you, you, you give a really good perspective on that. Um, maybe like in terms of your future. So you mentioned that, you know, that in the past you had you want to become like a, go into medicine, stuff like that. I'm sure that's probably long gone now, but, um, what, 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 what are you like, do, do you have any intentions to go back to school? Um, you know, you obviously have a lot of really great aspirations. How do you go about thinking about that? And what do you think right now? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I've had multiple, um, like random bursts of, oh, I want to go back to uni and do computer science. <laughs> I want to go abroad and study economics at LSE. Um, and I think, and those would pass very quickly or some, some of them would stay. But I think every year, my New Year's resolutions have always been to, like you probably noticed a theme, to like know myself a bit better, mm. to make sure that every single decision I make is my own and not something that pleases the or like appeases the expectations of other people, especially like my parents or the mm. close circle um, closest to me. I, so yeah, like answer to that would be, I don't know yet because I feel like I don't know myself enough. I mm. feel like I'm still on that journey of figuring out what life is truly about, what I truly enjoy from life. What, um, even like product management, I, I talk so highly of my the company and the people there, but you probably noticed that I haven't really talked much about how I feel about the role because mm. I enjoy the day-to-day, -day, but I'm not sure if it's because um, 
I love the I love the day-to-day of it or if I just love the people that I get to work with and maybe that's more reflective of what I value in life maybe maybe I just value like friendship and vulnerability and um these like interpersonal relations over a career path or like career development Mm. so like a lot of things I want to do but not many of those I'm extremely certain that comes from that it comes from my own brain and heart so lots to figure out so sorry I don't have a, a clear answer for you on that one no, I think I think that's a really honest answer. First of all, I don't think a lot of people would give that answer. So that's a, that's a really, I think, yeah, like I said, an honest answer. And perhaps the last question, um, which normally what I ask is, I want you to give kind of like one tip towards students who are in their self discovery process. Which I mean, to be honest with you, is every single student in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, but you actually gave a really good one before, and you you, you said to kind of put aside any form of. Uh, you know, perceptions of power or any of these, I'm not going to call them materialistic, but I'm definitely going to call them like superficial. Perhaps I might follow up on that. And I want to ask you both on your journey to find what you want to do in the future, but then obviously in any student or any working professional's desire to find themselves more, how do you actually go about doing what you said? You're going about putting aside all these things because it's, it's, if you were to ask anyone, do you consider these things, right? Obviously, they're going to try to say that, try to put them aside, but it's really hard and it's easier mm-hmm. said than done. How do you personally go about doing that? Because we're all victims to, you know, wanting, um, you know, wanting reputation and, and, and being greedy and things like that. Um, do you have any specific tips on how to do that? Ooh, um, I don't know if this will help anyone, but this is thing called death meditation. <laughs> and... So this happened once when I just like, okay, this is going to sound so weird. And I feel like no one's going to want to listen to my advice after this. But I went to the cemetery once to just sit and like read a book. I, th- I find death quite interesting because it's like, yeah, like everyone's scared of it. But why is it scary? Um, are we running away from it? Why do some people want to die? And so I was at the cemetery reading a book and I was just thinking about what would I what would I do if this was my last day on earth? And mm. um, and I think that was really interesting because I just realized all the things that I cared about. And good human, mm. I don't know if they're listening to this, but um, I don't think my, I don't think I cared about my career at all. I, if I die tomorrow, what I would do is, yeah, like say I love you or apologize to all of my friends and family, mm. give them a hug, spend time with them. And um, I just find, and that was a very rare moment, you know, of putting aside all of that anxiety and mm. financial anxiety, self-comparison. Because in that moment, you're really thinking about yourself and I guess the people closest to you and like what matters most to you. So in my experience, getting, cl- like, getting to those moments as often as possible has been really grounding. Um, Yep. From there, I realized that, yeah, like friendship and love and family matter so much more to me than other things in my life. And hmm. there's been other experiences of like, yeah, like talking to other people or um, being vulnerable with other people, being honest and um, spending a lot of time by myself and I guess being honest to myself, which is surprisingly like a lot more difficult than it sounds for, for me at least. 
um, that really opened my eyes to the things that I was believing in that, that weren't my own. Mm. And yeah, like when I said about being honest to myself, that means, I guess, inspecting these thoughts that you have when I feel insecure, when I'm comparing myself to Connie, for example, why am mm. I insecure? What am I scared of? Um, why is success so important to me? And why is not performing well so important to me? Why is that so scary? And it probably like traces back to maybe um, my parents' expectations in the past or mm. maybe that I, turns out I don't have a supportive environment around me at all. Mm. And getting to the root of that is really helpful and it's mm. it's a long endless journey um it's never easy but it always like it, it pays off it pays off in the sense that you'll just be more yourself and you'll just live more of your life as a result mm. yeah really really good answer um i'm not gonna lie i got a little bit worried when you started a story with i was reading a book at a cemetery but um that definitely, that definitely went uphill from there. So that was, and I think even if you're not reading a book at a cemetery, I think, I think that's a message that we can all think a little bit more about like what we truly, truly value in our life. And, um, I think one really big thing I've like learned from today is that like, at least in my case, like I definitely view my career and my personal life as pretty separate, but you're right. Like they're very much not. And I think the more you try to separate them, the more you're going to believe um, that, you know, the the experiences that you have in your personal life are not connected to your professional life. And I think that's absolutely untrue and vice versa. So um, that was really, really fascinating. I think you gave us yeah. a really uniquely fascinating perspective today. So um, there's a really interesting much, thing about, um, I was reading this thing about seeking happiness that some people just think that, Oh, when I get this scene done and over with, I will be happy. So I was thinking mm. about, I was like using that framework in my work for a mm. long time where it was 4 p.m. And I'm like, oh my God, this is so stressful. But when it hits like 5 or 6 p.m., I'll be done. I'll be fine. And I was almost seeking happiness outside of my work. And I knew that like, okay, life is good. And because life and work are separate, then when I end work, I will, I will be happy. But that just means that you spend a lot of time being unhappy instead of just trying to enjoy every single moment. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. Awesome. Well, I think we'll cut it there, but thank you so much for your time today, Anne. We had a really, really fascinating conversation. Um, it's definitely going to make myself and the audience think a lot more than we want to, but um, <laughs> that's a good thing, hopefully. So yeah, thanks for coming on and see you soon. And that puts an end to our episode. Thanks so much for listening. A reminder to subscribe to our socials and share this podcast around if you found it helpful so we can help transform the graduate job hunt of as many students as possible. In the meantime, I'm sure you'll find it helpful to browse through our resources available on wherewithsep.com. I'll see you in the next episode.